This episode of Annotated is brought to you by Penguin Random House Audio. Want to give audiobooks a try for your next book club pick, but don't know where to start? Penguin Random House Audio provides suggested questions, discussion points, and recommended titles. Today they're recommending Do This For Me, written and read by Eliza Kennedy. Rainey is a high-powered attorney, loving wife, and dedicated mother, but with one bombshell phone call, everything changes. Your book club will enjoy this brilliant off-kilter heroine on her quest of discovering herself. Visit tryaudiobooks.com slash bookriot and bring your book club meeting to a whole new level. Hey everybody, this is the last episode of Season 2 of Annotated, but fear not, starting September 1st, we are going to a new schedule. One new episode of Annotated every month, released on the first of the month. Thanks to all of you for listening and spreading the word so that we can make Annotated an ongoing show. You're the best. All right, let's get to the show. We're going to start this episode with a mini-mystery that one of our writers, A.J. O'Connell, came across in her daily life and wrote about on Book Riot. My husband, Tom, works at one of the grocery stores in town. I live in a very rural community in Connecticut. We have one big grocery store. That's where he works. And one day, he noticed that one of the donation bins for big-hearted books, a Massachusetts-based collector of books, was getting surrounded by little piles of books. Like, there were more bags and boxes appearing. And then he was called into the manager, and he said, we need to get rid of the books that have been just taking up space in our back room. They tried to call the company, and the company didn't exist anymore. We have a very good relationship with our town librarians, and so we ended up talking to them about Friends of the Library, and my husband ended up hauling all the books home. Our family went through them, took what we wanted, and then we brought them to the Friends of the Library when they started collecting and got there, and they were in a state because they have been relying on big-hearted books. And these book resellers are a huge part of the ecosystem that surrounds these volunteer-run library sales. Our particular library had been relying on big-hearted books to take the stuff that they wouldn't take and also to come and clean up, help them clean up the thousands of books that are left over after every annual library sale. And all of a sudden, that resource was just gone. And they weren't really sure what they were going to do because it's very hard to get rid of books. You wouldn't think it is, but it is. So we also have a good relationship with the people at the dump, which I told you, we live in a very small community. And we had gone to the dump for something else. And I was taking pictures of the dumpster for the book riot story. And the guy working the door at the dump, the guy who works like letting cars into the dump says that most of the books are just going straight to recycling now because some of the big hearted book containers have been closed up by the company. And some of them are still amassing piles and piles of books. When I went in to talk further to the Friends of the Library, turns out there were rumors flying around Friends of the Library in Connecticut. Apparently, these kinds of places go out of business often. There was a previous bookseller out of Bridgeport, Connecticut, that collected used books and mattresses 
their book operation went out of business overnight. And there were people who relied on them. That was about 10 years ago. And I believe Big Hearted Books bought a bunch of their book operation from them. I don't have any proof of this, but from what I gathered, some of these groups are a little shady. These are not-for-profits. I, I checked with Charity Star. These are for-profit organizations. They can come across as being a charity. When I did speak to the attorney who represented them in their bankruptcy case, he said the embezzlement was certainly a contributing factor, and that was as far as he went down that path. There were speculations, and they are just speculations from the library groups, that certain paperwork hadn't been filed, the people who run library sales here. At the end of the book sale, they don't care who is taking their books. <laughs> they just want the books gone. These are people who are senior citizens. They're tired. They can't move the books themselves. And the idea is they don't care how the books are getting out. They just want the books gone at the end of the sale. And that's fair. And what would happen would be Big Hearted Books or whoever is going to step into their shoes, sends a Gaylord. A Gaylord is a huge packing box. Forget exactly what the dimensions are, but it's the size of a pallet, and usually it comes um, attached to a pallet. They would just have these Gaylords outside the library, and the volunteers just load them up, and then a forklift comes, and a truck comes, and takes the Gaylord away. I think that, yeah, it was seven Gaylords were removed from the last Farmington library sale. My husband had seen an unmarked panel truck emptying one of the containers, and there are two containers in his parking lot. The other one had been emptied a couple weeks before mysteriously. My husband spoke to the gentleman who was hauling books. He said that they were still going to the same place in Massachusetts that they were, and that the, the bins would be relabeled but he wouldn't say by whom. We had no idea where those books were going. I checked the bankruptcy case, and it looks like those books are continuing to be collected and sold from selected bins for now, because the trustee in the bankruptcy is selling them to pay the creditors of Big Hearted Books. I will say that my husband, Johnny on the spot, um, says that there are more piles appearing around the dumpster or the book collection bins in the parking lot this week. Now, I wanted to start with this story for two reasons. First, it's a fun, quirky little mystery. And second, its odd mysteriousness reminded me of something I realized when we were doing the research for the second episode we did about independent bookstores. As I was trying to find good numbers about the number of independent bookstores in the U.S., I got curious about how many used bookstores there were in the U.S. Since most members of the American Booksellers Association sell mostly new books, their numbers don't help. And when I looked for a count of used bookstores in America, well, I didn't find anything. Since there isn't a unified organization for used bookstores or for selling to used bookstores, we really don't know how many used bookstores there even are. And more than that, we really have very little idea about how many used books are bought and sold, period. Or how many people buy and sell used books. Or how much money they generate. Or, well, you get the idea. Hello and welcome to Annotated. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. 
And I'm Jeff O'Neill. In this episode, we try to figure out what we know and don't know about the used book economy in the U.S. And to do so, I try my hand at becoming a used bookseller, a very small and unsuccessful used bookseller. This episode of Annotated is brought to you by Penguin Random House Audio. As the premier publisher in the audiobook industry, Penguin Random House Audio is dedicated to producing top quality audiobooks written and read by the best in the business. Today they're recommending Warlight, written by Michael Ondaatje, author of The English Patient, and read by British actor Steve West. Set in the decade after World War II, this dramatic story is told through the lives of two teenagers and the eccentric group of people they become involved with. Visit tryaudiobooks.com slash bookriot for more book club suggestions and other titles from Penguin Random House Audio. A few months ago, I was wandering the big semi-annual book sale that the Multnomah County Library holds as a fundraiser when I saw this guy going through a table of books one by one with a scanner in his hands. If you've been to a library book sale or a garage sale with a sizable shelf of 25-cent books on offer, chances are good you've seen someone using one too. Basically, these scanners allow for quickly determining if a particular used book is worth buying and reselling. By scanning a barcode that's connected to a constantly updated database that fetches current prices and the number of transactions around a certain title at a range of reselling outlets, these book browsers can see if there are diamonds in the rough, or at least quarters they could turn into dollars. Smartphones, though, have such good cameras now that they allow specialized apps to search databases. No one needs to pony up for dedicated hardware, so now anyone can dabble in seeing if they've got a treasure in front of them. And hey, I'm anyone. After looking around online, I found the Scout IQ app that allows pretty sophisticated info lookup for used books. And I immediately started scanning my shelf of books I've collected as part of researching various annotated topics. All right, so let's give this a whirl. Uh... Open up the app, hit the scan button, take a picture of the book, and... Yeah, look at that. Okay, so this is a projected profit of $8.64 on a selling price of $20.26. Yeah, not too bad. That's pretty good. What was that one? That's Shelley by Miranda Seymour, which I got for our episode on Frankenstein. Okay, this is fun. Do another. Sure. How about... Okay, so this one is mint condition and a relatively new title, so maybe also worth something. Let's see what we got here. All right, ready? Open the app, scan the barcode, and... Oh, look at that. Uh, profit of only a dollar, $1.30. Oh, that's too bad. Wait, but that's still a profit, so why the yucky noise? Okay, well, this is where we start wading in a little. Scout IQ lets you set up some filters to help you quickly make decisions, so you don't have to sit there and puzzle over whether you want to pick up a decent hardcover edition of the Night Circus while people are elbowing you to grab, well, whatever it is they are trying to grab. So what are the decisions to make, though? Why not just take anything that comes up positive? Okay, this is where I have to admit that I am cheating a little on the settings because I was afraid of getting a bunch of bad results, basically zeros. So I set the default acquisition price to zero. Oh, yep, that's cheating. It is, unless you actually are getting the book for free or are willing to part with something you already have for that price. Which, I guess if it's just gathering dust or maybe you got a big box from your aunt who's moving or something, fine, but... I'd imagine that most people doing this at any scale aren't getting most of their books for free. Yeah, clearly the acquisition price is a huge factor. And of course, so then is the price you are expecting to get for the title. That's pretty simple. But there are other costs here, namely of getting the book to the customer. That's what I was just about to ask. How in this little dream world experiment are you actually selling the books? 
For the sake of this experiment, I'm using Amazon's Fulfilled by Amazon program. This is where I would ship the book, or more economically, multiple books, to an Amazon warehouse where they would sit until a buyer found them and bought them on Amazon. Amazon then does the shipping and order processing and customer service, all for a hefty fee. So you're paying a premium to not really have to do anything. You really are an executive now. I could make a little more money per title by doing the shipping and handling and customer service myself. This is called Merchant Fulfilled Selling or MF, but it has been waning in popularity, especially among buyers over the last few years. If you can make more money doing it, though, I think it would be more popular, especially if the tools are widely available. They are, but customers think differently about buying used books from small sellers called, like, say, the Reading Ape One Two Three, and I know you'll be shocked that it's Amazon that has brought about this change. I am shocked, I tell you, and by shocked, I of course mean completely unshocked. Amazon was and is the sun around which the online used market, and thus the market for used books itself, orbits. This is nothing new, or at least hasn't been new for twenty years. But what is new is how much people love and trust Amazon Prime. Yes, they do. As do we for certain things. What I didn't mention before is that if I sell my books through Amazon using FBA fulfilled by Amazon, my listing shows up to buyers as you guessed it, fulfilled by Amazon. And if that customer is a Prime customer, the two most magical internet words appear: free shipping. I think I'm getting the picture. Basically, Amazon has leveraged the trust people have in its brand and the allure of free shipping to make it a preferred seller. That makes sense to me. If I was shopping for a used title and I had the choice between it being fulfilled by Amazon and some other random seller I'd never heard of, I'd pick Amazon. So would I. And some studies I saw suggest that people will pay even more. In some cases, ten to fifteen percent more to get the same used title from Amazon, and that is tough to compete with. How tough to compete with, though? We know that Amazon does like sixty percent of all new print sales in the U.S. and something approaching ninety percent of eBooks. Do you have a guess? I mean, I would guess used sales are closer to new print than to digital, so I'll set that as my baseline. So sixty percent. Damn fine guess. Why? Thank you. At least I think it's a good guess. Estimates suggest that at least two thirds of used books are sold online, and most think it is a fair bet that Amazon dominates that number. That is, if you count all the sales that happen like my hypothetical used book selling venture would. So, if I'm imagining the timeline here right, the story goes something like this: In the pre-internet world, you had all the used bookstores and the library book sales and garage sales and thrift stores and the odd rare book dealer. Right. And then the internet came along, and there's a big bang of online used book selling. People with one book to sell could become a used bookseller on eBay or Amazon or Craigslist or whatever. You've got it. Okay. So as Amazon became an increasingly trusted platform, it started to bring a whole bunch of those smaller sellers into its orbit together, and then the used bookselling world started to contract. And here is another fascinating piece. A similar thing happened with used book prices. You mean the prices rose and then contracted? Not the prices themselves, but the variation in prices. In the pre-internet world, prices for used books were set without as much information for either the buyer or the seller. The internet provided a more efficient pricing market, and as the amount of books, sellers, and buyers, and more importantly, price information increased, used book prices in aggregate began to stabilize and stabilize down. That down part is so interesting. 
I thought maybe prices would go up because it became easier to find and buy used books, and in aggregate, that would mean an increase in demand for essentially the same supply, because there weren't magically a whole bunch more used books the day after Al Gore turned on the internet pipes than the day before. I thought the same thing, but it turns out it was like there were magically a bunch of new used books, because a book on a backroom shelf of a used book barn in Vermont, for market purposes, effectively doesn't exist because no one knows it's there. So while supply and demand went up, supply went up a little faster than demand. Okay. So then I'd imagine that ebooks and the ability to buy cheaper new books online also affected this potential new demand as well. It seems like those were factors, but maybe not as much as you or I might guess. On an episode of the Book Riot podcast, do you remember we were imagining these impossible experiments to see if the ability to check out a book from the library hurt book sales for that title? Oh, it was a lovely dream. Well, it turns out that economists are also interested when a new field of pricing information becomes available. And this new data about used book pricing was an excellent case for a couple of them to put something called cross-price elasticity to the test. Whoo, cross-price elasticity. I can feel all my dopamine firing. I knew you would like this part. Cross-price elasticity, in short, correlates the change in demand for one thing when a change in price for closely related things happen. For example, if the price of gas goes up, you might imagine that demand for more fuel-efficient cars would also go up. With good data, you can see what, if any, correlation in prices there are between two products. Is this a drumroll moment? I feel like there's a drumroll coming on. It does sort of feel like a magic number you and I have wondered about forever. Anyway, this NYU study found that about 16% of used book sales did cannibalize a new book sale. So basically, if used books didn't exist, a given title would sell about one more copy for every six it sells now. What do you think about that number? Kind of nothing. What do you mean? Like, it's not bananas high. Like, for every used book sold, one new book is lost. Right. Can't really get mad at it. Nor is it shocking on the upside, where for every used book sold, more than one new copy was sold. So it sort of passes the experiential smell test. It just feels right. Yeah, I think so. But now that I think about it, the results feel like it matches reality, but it suddenly seems kind of bizarre that the effect of having so many used copies available is really this small. I thought the same thing. I guess one thing to consider, though, is how much, on average, Would you guess that a used book is discounted over a new copy of the same version? I'm guessing it's not that high, or at least not as high as I might think. Now remember, this is an average, but in cases where a book is still in print, on average, the used book is discounted from the list by about 40%. The confounding factor about that is publishers generally only keep books in print that they can sell. For older titles, for which there's not enough interest for a publisher to continue publishing it, the vast majority of titles become much cheaper pretty quickly. Former bestsellers, for example, are available for an 85% discount over new on average. But in rare cases, they must also go the other way. For whatever reason, there's demand for an edition, but there aren't any more being printed. There are several reasons that a book becomes both scarce and desirable. Clearly, something like a first edition can't just be reprinted and retain the same value. That's where you get the stuff of rare and antiquarian books. But there are three words in combination that also can predict if a book will be valuable. Specialized, out of print, nonfiction. Oh, and that explains that Shelley biography you just scanned. And it's a hardback, so even though I think there are still paperbacks in print, the hardback isn't. So the big story about used books coming online is that there's now something like an efficient market for used books. But you still haven't told me whether used books are cheaper or more expensive or whatever now that we have the internet. 
Okay, so this is very ballpark. But in general, used book prices are down about 35% than before the internet. So it seems like, in general, the internet unlocked quite a bit more supply than it did demand, even as the volume of used books being bought and sold is higher now, though we really don't know by how much. Wait, we don't know how many used books are sold, though. Like, if you go to a thrift store or a library sale, those are usually pen and paper transactions. Yeah, and the number of books sold person to person online is almost impossible to track. Even someone like Amazon, who has the data you might be able to extrapolate from, isn't sharing it. The best I can do, and it is very bad, is this. When ABE Books, one of the biggest online used book marketplaces, was bought by Amazon, it had 110 million used books for sale. But that number is 10 years old. That is bad. (laughs) Yeah, this might be a little better, but not much. Amazon has more than 30 million titles for sale. And one study found that the average book listed on Amazon has 22 used copies available. So if you multiply it out, 22 copies by 30 million titles, that is more than 660 million used copies available to buy on Amazon right now. Okay, that does seem like a lot. But I remember when we were talking about how many new books were sold in the U.S. last year, that number was more than 700 million. So that's at least 700 million books coming into circulation every year that are then theoretically candidates to become used books for sale. Yeah, and that's why that back-of-the-envelope math I was just so proud of is likely way low, like an order of magnitude low. And that brings us back here at the end to AJ's story. Because here's the thing that will make the skin crawl of a lot of book lovers. A whole bunch of books are destroyed every year. Right. Because we've only been talking about books that are desirable enough to be put on sale at all, even if it's only for a penny and the seller hopes to make some money in the shipping fees. There are a few companies in the U.S., like Big Hearted Books, that deal in huge quantities of used books. And the largest of them, Thrift Books, which also owns several sub-brands of used bookstores and chains, says that they throw out or recycle about 65% of the books they take in. So really, finding out that a random used book has any value at all is a bonus. You know, we've been talking about selling used books online, but what about the old-fashioned way of taking your books to a used bookstore and just doing it nice and clean and simple? I'm glad you asked because I did just that. I've had this pile of books I've been meaning to take to Powell's to sell my car for, well, longer than I'd like to admit. But luckily, this neglected to-do item is a good test, you know, for science. I think I see where you're going with this. I bet you do too. So I took this pile of books, scanned them using Scout IQ to see what kind of return I would get if I sold them through Fulfilled by Amazon. What was the total? $23.52. And I added up the list price for them and all told the retail price would be $305.94. Whew, so you'd get less than 10% of the sticker price. I could get it up to $28.30 if I didn't try to sell the two books that Book IQ said I would actually take a loss on. In these cases, Amazon shipping fees and costs would be more than the money a customer would pay. That's closer to 10%, but still. So then if I were you, I would be interested in what I could get if I lived close to one of the best used bookstores in the world. Ah, you know me too well. Okay, before I tell you what happened, a little background on how bricks and mortar used bookstores work. I'm here for it. Before the days of the internet, your average used bookstore had a pretty simple formula for buying and selling used books. If it was a book they thought they could sell, they would buy paperback, say, for one-tenth of the cover price, and then resell it for half the cover price, giving them about a 40% margin. That's actually pretty similar to the margins an independent bookstore would make on the sale of a new book. 
Were they able to tell if they ran across something that was worth substantially more than that? Some could, but a lot of fish got away. Here's a tip. If you ever have the chance to talk to a used bookseller, be sure to ask them about the one that got away. But mostly they use their experience selling used books and not selling a billion old encyclopedias and ratty Stephen King mass markets to figure out what to carry and what to pass on. Got it. Now, before I tell you what happened, do you have any guess about what Powell's offered me for the same stack of books? Remember, Scout IQ says I should expect $28.02 for them. All right. And the retail price for them was $305. Thirty-five, forty. I'm gonna guess it's higher for Powell's, but not like much higher. Well, let's see how you did. Oh, hi. How you doing? Thanks. So I haven't done this before, so you have to walk me through it. I just took my stack of books down to Powell's right here in Portland. You have to show your photo ID. Apparently, it is state law for selling things to stores that has to do with money laundering. Who? That took a turn. I definitely made a note of that. Anyway, since Powell sells so many used books, both online and in their stores. They have their own algorithm that shows them how many copies of a book they have and also the sales velocity for that title, and thus whether or not they want to buy something. Okay, so what did you get? Their offer was $21.52 in cash or $32 in trade. That was a simple decision for me. Uh, I'll take it in credit. All right. In percentage, that's quite a bit less than the profit Scout IQ said you would get selling them yourself, but a bit more if you take it in trade. But the real kicker, at least for a small timer like me, is that it was done right then. I didn't have to list them, mail them, wait for them to sell, etc., etc. But even as happy as I was about that, I still had four books that Powell's wouldn't take, three of which Amazon also said I would lose money on if I tried to sell. And you could totally donate them to the library or a thrift store or something, but you know there really isn't a market for these books, which takes us back to AJ and the problem of these huge quantities of books that nobody wants. I had a quote that I cut from the story from Linda Chaprone, who is the head of book sales for the region, for friends of the Connecticut libraries. And she was just talking about how the volunteers are just putting the Da Vinci Code Angela's ashes in the, the dumpster outside the library after a while because they're getting several copies a day. And she said um, she thinks that there's more Da Vinci Codes and Angela's ashes copies in the United States than there are Bibles. And that's, think that that's a pretty fair statement. They're everywhere. And I think for most people, even if they aren't the hardest core book nerd, there still is something that bothers us if we have to recycle a book, which we should, even if only that it prevents them from ending up in the trash. I have books that were stored when we were moved that got moldy, and I had such a hard time recycling them. I think that it becomes this sort of like, I don't know whether we're building a wall between us and like a Ray Bradbury future. (laughs) You don't want to get rid of them. You want to pass them on to somebody who will read them. Okay, I'm going to do us all a favor right now. It is okay to recycle books no one wants. Go. Be free. This is Book Riot saying it's okay to get rid of your used book. (laughs) I gotta admit, I do feel a bit better. This episode of Annotated was written and produced by me, Jeff O'Neill. Sound editing and design by Kyle O'Neill. Thanks to Powell's and A.J. O'Connell for playing along. 
You can find links to many of the sources for this episode in the show notes, either in your podcast player or at the page for this episode at bookriot.com slash listen. And don't forget that we have a giveaway for this season. Jeff handpicked 10 of the best books about books from 2017 for one of you lucky listeners to win. Go enter at bookriot.com slash annotated two. That's the number two. And that's it for this season of Annotated. We are coming back in the fall with a new schedule. We are going to release a new episode every month on the first of the month. So mark it in your calendars or planners or whatever. The first one, though, will be September 1st. And as you eagerly await that, it would be awesome if you took a moment to rate and review Annotated on Apple Podcasts. It's a simple way to help us find new listeners interested in geeking out about books. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you in September.